Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. The Sappers in the D-Day Gliders by Ingram Murray from issue eight of Bugle and Sabre, the military history of Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire magazine. The plan for Operation Neptune, the invasion of Normandy, included the landing of three airborne divisions on the flanks of the seaborne forces in order to protect them from counterattack. The landing zones of the 6th Airborne Division lay to the east of Sword Beach, the easternmost of the beaches, on an area of low-lying agricultural land overlooked by a ridge. Between the landing zones and the beaches were two major water obstacles, the Caen Canal and the River Orne. To secure crossings over these obstacles, Major General Richard Windy Gale, the Airborne Divisional Commander, gave orders that two bridges over the canal and river were to be seized by a glider-borne coup de main shortly after midnight on D-Day. D Company of the 2nd Battalion of the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry, traditionally known as the 52nd Light Infantry, was selected for the task, reinforced by two platoons from B Company. Fourteen specially picked glider pilots, trained by day and by night, learning to bring down their six-horse gliders in darkness on smaller and smaller landing areas. Both bridges were built to open to permit the passage of vessels. Given the importance and nature of the bridges, Elaborate contingency plans were made to ensure against the possibility that the bridges might not be seized or that they would be demolished by the garrison, jammed in the open position or taken back by counterattack. A further concern was that they might prove too weak to support the passage of tanks over the waterways. A detailed plan was drawn up for the landing of assault rafts by glider and the loading of two special bailey bridges in the assault wave of the seaborne force. This was to touch down on Sword Beach at H hour, 07.25 hours on the 6th of June. The plan started with the inclusion of 30 Royal Engineers in the Coup de Main force, five in each horse a glider. Coup de Main. A moment or two was all that I knew we would get. The assault on the bridges must therefore come like a bolt from the blue. General Windy Gale in the 6th Airborne in Normandy. Six gliders landed a party near Benneville at 0200 hours 6 June to seize bridges over the Caen Canal and River Orne. Four of the gliders landed extremely accurately, complete surprise was gained and the bridges were captured. Five power brigade dropped at 0500 hours to reinforce the area of the bridges. Summary of operations, the initial assault, RE Battlefield Tour 1. Scrambling out of the wrecked gliders, close to the Caen Canal a few minutes after midnight on the 6th of June 1944, Led by Captain Jock Nielsen, sappers from 2 Platoon, 249 Airborne Field Company, headed for the bridge. Hard on the heels of Major John Howard's men from the 52nd Light Infantry, the sappers' first task was to check for demolition charges and to neutralise and remove any found in position before they could be fired. Each party of sappers had been trained to check both bridges. Equipped with crowbars, scaling ladders and tools, they climbed about the girders and within five minutes were able to report that there were no explosives and that the bridges were undamaged. The charges for the canal bridge were found stacked in a hut nearby. Their positions on the bridge girders were marked with paint. While Nielsen and his team tackled the lifting bridge at Benneville, 
500 yards away, Lieutenant Steve Bent ran towards the Ronville swing bridge to check that it was safe. He had landed in number six glider with Lieutenant Dennis Fox and his platoon of B Company. The Ronville bridge was not rigged for demolition. Had the bridges not been seized or had been demolished, the sappers would have dragged four folding assault boats from the gliders and paddled the infantrymen across the canal to form a bridgehead. As it was, Lieutenant Brotheridge's platoon was able to scatter the garrison and charge across the bridge into Benouville. As the enemy reacted, the sappers joined in the battle around the bridges. As the 52nd Light Infantry secured the bridges, the aircraft bringing in the leading parachute elements of the 6th Airborne Division began to drop the Pathfinders and 7th Light Infantry Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, 7 Para, on dropping zone N to the east. With them came other detachments of 5th Parachute Brigade and engineer parties from 591 Parachute Squadron RE. Brigadier Nigel Poet, the commander of the 5th Parachute Brigade, flying from RAF Harwell, jumped from an Albemarle with the advance party of his brigade, landing accurately on the DZ north of Ronville. As soon as he landed, Poet turned to hasten towards the vital bridges. Others were dropped wide. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Lohman, the Commander Royal Engineers, CRE, of the 6th Airborne Division, jumping last in his stick of 16 from a Stirling bomber, landed a mile or so south of the DZ in a garden in the hamlet of Ronville. He soon realised that he had dropped in the middle of a German anti-parachute landing exercise. Lohman made his escape encouraged by bursts of machine gun fire by means of a steeplechase over garden hedges and walls, landing at one point in a midden off an eight-foot wall. He too headed for the bridges, guided by the motorcycle horn used by 591 Parachute Squadron to rally on their RV. Lohman's liaison officer, Lieutenant Jim Lockie, also jumping from a sterling, had landed accurately on DZN. Scrambling out of his parachute harness, he made for the bridges. His task was to report the situation to Lohman and Divisional HQ. Following a German patrol for some of the way, he met Bentz and Lieutenant Dennis Fox at the Ronville Swing Bridge and then went on to meet Nielsen at Benneville. Both were happy to report that the bridges had been captured intact. Both were happy to report that the bridges had been captured intact. Lockie turned back towards the DZ and on meeting Poet assured the brigadier that the coup de main had been a success. Following on Poet's heels came the parachutes of 7 Para with a section of sappers from 591 Parachute Squadron under a lance sergeant. Should the river bridge not have been available, they had the task of improvising ferries for the infantry across the water using 30 RAF dinghies and rope lines carried down in kit bags by men of 7 Para. At 0050 hours, four more horse gliders flying from RAF Tarrant Rushton slithered down through the dark to land on landing zone N. Each carried an assault raft capable of conveying a jeep and a six-pounder anti-tank gun, which, with more rubber dinghies and rope, were to set up vehicle ferries across the river and canal to reinforce the bridgehead at Benneville. The gliders also carried two 30-foot rolls of tracking to be laid down over the banks to the water's edge at low tide, or if the sea locks on the canal had been damaged. The 249 Company sappers aboard these gliders had the job of manhandling the rafts to the river and building them, something which could be done in a matter of minutes. A jeep and trailer were found and the rafts were carried and dumped near the bridges in case they were needed. Following the raft carrying horses down through the night came three more gliders loaded with small bulldozers and a jeep-drawn compressor. These were manned by sappers from 286 Field Park Company. A fourth horser with a bulldozer had disappeared into the channel en route. Disentangled from their gliders, the two little bulldozers set to work knocking down the invasion poles and clearing wreckage on the glider landing strips which were being prepared by 591 Parachute Squadron and working parties from Divisional HQ. 
four 1,000-yard lanes through the anti-glider obstacles, nicknamed Rommel's Asparagus, had to be prepared. Two lanes for the next lift of 68 gliders due two hours before dawn, and another two for the 146 gliders due on the evening of D-Day. 591's officer commanding, Major David Wood, was missing, but Captain Fergie Semple took immediate charge and the strips were cleared in time. For his work that night, Semple was awarded the MC. Checking the loading capacity of the bridges. I set off to visit the platoon of 249 Field Company with the Coup de Man Party on the Benneville-Ronville bridges. They are in great heart and rightly so after their achievement. The area was still under aimed small arms fire but the two officers were busily engaged with two-foot rule and REPB trying to classify the bridges, which they did though the design would have taxed the calculating ingenuity of the School of Military Engineering. Personal account by Lieutenant Colonel F.H. Lohman, CRE, 6th Airborne Division. Back at the bridges, the next priority for Nielsen and Bentz was to check whether they were capable of taking the weight of a 30-tonne Sherman or a 40-tonne Churchill. A squadron of Sherman DD swimming tanks was tasked with supporting the airborne as soon as they landed on Sword Beach, just after H-hour. The tanks would need to cross the bridges. On the basis of low-level air photography and pre-war picture postcards, the carrying capacity of the lifting bridge over the canal had been estimated to be 18 tonnes. That of the swing bridge over the tidal river Orne at 24 tonnes. In theory, neither could support the weight of a Sherman. It was obviously very important to calculate quickly what the real capacity was. Using hasty formulae provided to them before leaving the United Kingdom, Nielsen and Bentz set about assessing the load class of the bridges. With snipers' bullets pinging off the metal, they checked the decking, measured the depth of the girders and inspected the bank seats and the lifting and turning mechanisms. They estimated that the load capacity of both bridges was approximately 30 tonnes, but they were concerned that the decking of the lifting bridge might not sustain tracked vehicles for long and that a crack in one bank seat of the Ronville, Pont-Tournant, might also reduce the load class. They referred the question to the CRE on his early morning visit. Lohman took the view that the safety margins built into both structures would provide adequate capacity to take a Sherman tank. It was vital to get the results of their calculations back to the 6th Airborne Division and also to 3rd Division coming into Sword Beach at 0725 hours. As Lohman's radio link with CRE 3rd Division was not working, Nielsen had to meet and report to the Engineer Reconnaissance Party from 17 Field Company RE, feeling its way up from the beaches. It was essential for 3rd Division to know if the special Class 40 Bailey Bridges and the ferries coming in on the 1st and 2nd tides would be needed to replace either the lifting or the swing bridge. The bridging plan. It was fortunate that we were not called upon to redeem our promises, as the landing of both bridge pontoons and bridging sets differed widely from the programme. First Corps Engineer Report. In the planning for D-Day, the engineer staff of one British Corps had provided for the construction by D-plus-4 of seven Class 4 Bailey bridges, totalling 920 feet in length, and one Class 9 folding boat equipment bridge, 130 feet in length. In addition, rafting equipment was provided to enable the 3rd Division to operate across the Conn Canal and River Orne to link up with 6th Airborne Division. Two of the Class 40 bridges and rafts were to be landed on D-Day to support the transfer of anti-tank guns and carriers and maintenance vehicles to supply 6th Airborne. Using air photographic cover, sites for the two bridges had been chosen and the gaps measured. The canal gap was found to be 220 feet and the river 280 feet. 
In designing and training for bridging the canal, the planners had to accept the risk that the Germans would blow the sea locks at Wiestrom, causing a 15-foot fall in the water level, and then a twice-daily tidal rise and fall. The River Orne was tidal with a range of 14 feet at the chosen bridge site. Two special designs of Bailey Bridge were made up, called Type A and Type B, each with two spans articulating on a central 10-foot high pier built on a raft of five pontoons. Special Bridge Type A was loaded with the girders for the piers on the three tonners of the 106 Bridging Company, RESC, and backed into landing craft included in the first wave. The second special Type B bridge was loaded into LBVs to be landed on Queen Beach on the second tide and then loaded onto the empty RASC vehicles returning from the first bridge site. Unloading of bridging stores would be heavily dependent on the state of the tide and the weather. The task of building the two special Bailey bridges over the Caen Canal and the Orne was given by 3rd Division to 17 Field Company RE with 71 Field Company under command. They also had the task of building the Class 5 ferries for wheeled vehicles. They were to open the bridges by D plus 3. London 1 Bridge 220-foot Class A, 40-tidal Type A, Special Bailey Pontoon Bridge We moved to Benneville by 0700 hours on the 7th June and commenced work by platoons with 71 Field Company and 17 Field Company. One platoon prepared the bank seats for the canal bridge, three platoon unloaded and set out stores, and two platoon constructed a Class 5 and a Class 9 ferry over the River Orne near Ronville. These ferries were completed by 1400 hours, the site being repeatedly shelled and mortared during construction. Work on the canal bridge went ahead quite smoothly, except for fairly incessant shelling. The site was in view from OPs on high ground held by the enemy north of Caen, and we suffered a number of casualties. The enemy put in a number of counter-attacks, and that evening we had to abandon work on the bridge and take up a defensive position, covering the Benneville Bridge, which we manned all night. Work restarted at 0700 hours on the 8th of June. Report by Major M. Delorme, DSOMC, Officer Commanding, 263 Field Company, RE. Three and a half hours after H-hour on D-Day, the Officer Commanding 17 Field Company and his recce party landed through the surf in three white scout cars. Skirting Wiestrom, they began to work their way under rifle and machine gun fire along the canal towpath, arriving at the Benneville Bridge at about 1300 hours. They learned from Nielsen that the lifting and swing bridges were intact and judged capable of bearing AFVs, but that the chosen site for their Taipei Bailey Bridge was overlooked by the enemy, still holding out in Benneville Chateau and under fire. A quick decision was made to move the axis of the bridge north and closer to the lifting bridge. As the recce party began to check for mines, and to set out the bridge site, the RESC bridging column worked its way slowly forward through the shellfire and sniping, and the engineer platoons waded ashore and headed from the beaches to Benneville on foot. As they worked through the afternoon, disaster struck. 17 Field Company sustained successively the loss to enemy fire of their officer commanding, both their recce officers, and their second-in-command, together with a number of sappers. Another sapper officer from 3rd Division Engineers, whose task was to control the forward movement of the bridging equipment, was also killed. Work on setting out the bridge and the bridge marshalling area halted. At one point, the sappers became involved in the fighting around Benneville. In the late evening, the CRE of 3rd Division came forward. His half-track ran over a mine on the way and decided to transfer the task of building the bridges to 71 Field Company with the survivors of 17 Field Company and later 263 Field Company under command. He also decided to move the bridge site back to the original axis south of Benneville once the Royal Warwicks had cleared the enemy from the hamlet and the chateau. 
At dusk on D-Day, the sappers had begun to unload such equipment as had arrived, through the congestion on the beaches, and to dig in the bank seats. Unloading of RASC bridging vehicles over the beaches was now falling behind, and several engineer parties responsible for handling bridging stores had not yet landed. During D plus one, bridging trickled into the site, but in insufficient quantities to start work on the bridge itself. However, landings during the night meant that on the morning of D plus two, it was at last possible to build the central pier and launch the two 110-foot spans. Finally, by dawn on D plus three, the special Type A bridge was open to traffic. It was christened London One Bridge. It had taken 56 hours to build due to the late delivery of the bridging equipment. Whilst waiting for their bridging equipment, 17 Field Company built Class 9 standby ferries over the canal and the river, which were opened by dawn and on 1,400 hours on D plus 1 respectively. A Class 40 raft on the River Orne was added by 246 Field Company during the night of D plus 1 too, because of doubts about the structure of the Pont Tournant and because insufficient bridging had arrived for work on the Special Bailey Type B. 263 Field Company, which joined the bridging operation on D plus 1, had been clearing obstacles on the beaches and then on landing zone W. The gliders with the balance of the 52nd Light Infantry and other elements of 6th Air Landing Brigade were to land at 2100 hours on D-Day. Landing zone W lay to the west of the Con Canal, near Saint-Aubin-Dachenay. Like other open spaces, it was studded with poles to obstruct glider landings. The job of removing the poles was given to 263 Field Company as a sequel to their primary task of helping with underwater obstacle clearance on the beaches. Having worked on the beach for three hours, the company moved towards the landing zone. The area was still disputed territory, and the sappers had to skirt enemy positions carefully to get to the space where they were to clear two 1,000-yard strips. This they managed to do just in time, using explosives carried from the beaches, and the strips were then marked with improvised panels. In spite of their efforts, the gliders came in at all angles. London 2 Bridge 221-foot Class 40 Tidal Type B Special Bailey Pontoon Bridge In conjunction with 71 Field Company, we started to build the bridge over the River Orne. This caused increased shelling by the enemy and our pontoons were holed time and time again, but somehow we managed to keep the bridge afloat. Bank seats, landing bays and special piers were completed as far as equipment and tide would allow by 1500 hours when no further work could be done. In the evening, stores were collected to enable the bridge to be completed next day. Report by Major M. DeLorme, DSOMC, Officer Commanding 263, Field Company RE. Although Sherman tanks were crossing both the Benneville and Ronville bridges, work to install London 2 bridge over the River Orne started on D plus 3, immediately after the opening of London 1. The centre line and working area were marked out and stores offloaded. Mortar fire on the site and later strafing by passing Messerschmitts interrupted work and hold the pontoons, which had been filled with empty petrol tins against such a contingency, but which had to be replaced and repaired. Periodic alarms halted work as the sappers stood too in order to repel threatened counterattacks. The night was noisy with air attacks and anti-aircraft fire, and the arrival of stores was still fitful, but work went on. On D plus four, work speeded up, and the bridge was opened finally at 08.30 hours on D plus five. It had taken 50 hours to build due to the delays in landing bridging equipment and interference by the enemy. Paradoxically, on the 11th of June, fears of a counterattack resulted in orders to rig both the Ronville Swing Bridge and the newly constructed Bailey Bridges for demolition. The firing points were located in armoured cars positioned at both ends of the bridges, in which the sapper firing parties took shelter whilst the Germans shelled the crossings. 
Shell splinters frequently cut the leads to the charges and systematic inspection and repair was required. They were very pleased when the bombardment and the threat diminished and they were relieved of the demolition task. Later bridges over the Conch Canal and River Orne. At 1200 hours on the 18th of July, the last raft was brought into bridge right on the full tide and by 1700 hours the approaches were finished and the bridge was opened. This was the first bridging task executed by one Corps Troops RE in northwest Europe. It took two field companies 18 hours to construct 366 feet of floating Bailey Bridge and its approaches on an awkward site with a tidal range of 14 feet. Lieutenant G. Steele, 240 Field Company RE, personal account of the building of Tower 2 Bridge over the River Orne. Tower 2 Bridge was built to add a route for Operation Goodwood. During the weeks following D-Day, the sappers built several more bridges over the canal and river. Stores were now coming forward on time and fresh engineer units were landing, speeding up the work of construction. Two 80-foot Bailey bridges took a mere 12 hours to go over the locks at Weistrom, designated Tower 1 and Tower 2. Two floating baileys, 336 feet long, called York 2 and a second Tower 2 over the Orne, took 18 hours. York 1 over the canal took 16 hours and two more bridges further south toward Caen, Tay 1 and Tay 2, 14 and 16 hours respectively. Wheeled and tracked approaches were set out and maintained under increasing pressure as the Allies poured ashore. In mid-July, Montgomery launched Operation Goodwood on the east side of the Orne. The sappers of 2nd Army, 1 and 8 Corps and divisional engineers worked from the 13th to the 16th of July to build six approach roads from west of the Conconal and the Orne River to the start lines to the east. Engineers from 1 Corps built two new sets of bridges across the Conconal and the Orne and were also to construct another two sets of bridges by the end of the first day of the operation. Two Canadian Corps also planned to construct as quickly as possible three bridges across the Orne south of Caen to give one and eight corps exclusive access to the river and the canal bridges north of Caen. Starting on the 17th of July, two armoured divisions began to roll along the approach roads and squeeze across the bridges to attack south towards Caen. Early in the morning of the 18th of July, the Allied assault was launched by a massive aerial bombardment. Although the momentum of the attack carried the leading units several miles into the German positions, it eventually stalled. Congestion on the crossings meant that the 3rd Division was delayed in its approach to the battlefield, but the attack had petered out before it could be employed. During the night, German aircraft attacked the Orne bridges in an attempt to cut the British approach routes. <laughs>